Good to be back here. The lectern is nice and tall. We are in the book of Philippians, chapter 4 today. Philippians chapter 4. Before I begin the, the message, I hope you know what a blessing it is to gather with other Christians on a weekly basis and to be particularly part of a church that sings so well. Uh, it just edifies my soul. And you can even see it when the uh, initial architects of this building, how they designed it. So you're not all facing the podium, but they're, the ends are turned in a little bit. So you hear voices in your right ear and your left ear, if you can still hear fully, and then you hear voices behind you, and it just edifies the soul. I'm seeing a lot of people I want to stop and say hi to, but I will do that afterwards. So if you feel slighted by my, our eye contact and my not recognizing you, then please hold on for another hour or so, 40 minutes. <laughs> we'll see. There's no, where's the clock? 11.06. Okay, great. All right, let's, uh, uh, do we stand for the reading of God's Word still in this church? All right, let's stand. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, and um, before we look at 4, let's look at 1, chapter 1, verses 12 to 18, so we understand the context of Philippians. So look at chapter 1, verses 12 to 18, and then we're going to flip over a page or two to chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. Four twelve, or sorry, one twelve. I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's flip over to 4.10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Would you please be seated as we pray? <clears throat> Father, we read words like this and we just realize that we fall way short of being content in every single circumstance. And you know that, and that's why you've given us these words to instruct us in our hearts and that we might learn to be content in various circumstances. So we pray that you would use this text for our good. Would you edify us and build us up in the Spirit? Would you continue to conform us into the image of Christ? And would you help us understand 
all the resources that we have in Christ, even in unpleasant and surprising circumstances. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. This past week, I got an email from a friend who has a yet-to-be-born child, a child in the womb, who needed some prayer. This is their second child, and uh, the, the child is likely is having some major complications. And then I got another email from a pastor friend who's in his late 50s or early 60s and has a very aggressive form of cancer where it is, there's no known cure. The cancer is inoperable. Our church regularly prays for a man named Andrew Brunson who's in a jail cell in Izmir, Turkey. He's a pastor from North Carolina. He's been in Turkey for over 20 years, and he's put there on some crazy and unjust claims. On a much lighter note, my associate pastor, who's coming in September, he and his wife have been outbidded on two homes, and just recently the prospect of getting the third home they thought they had is looking a little bit more questionable. So I think about all of these circumstances that I just considered this past week, and there are many more. And I think about you. What about you? What unpleasant and surprising circumstances do you find yourself in? And I wonder if God's words sound trite, abstract, some principle that's unattainable, or perhaps they seem oversimplified to you. Or I wonder if you fight for faith to believe what the apostle says here. Apostle Paul here in our context, or in our text today, has discovered the secret of contentment. He has discovered the secret of contentment, and he does this by taking the Philippian church to school. He brings this church to school at the conclusion of this letter. He's testifying to them what he has learned. And I know that all of us in this room have at least one thing in common, is that we all desire to be content, don't we? We all want to be content. We're tired of getting shaped and move around by the circumstances that come into our lives, and we just want to maintain this level of contentment. We're tired of our hearts being tossed and turned. Humans, we're all diverse in our personalities and our likings and our worldviews, but one thing we have in common is that we want to all be content. And that's why Paul is getting at this letter, which seems a bit abstract because he's basically saying, uh, this is a great sermon to preach for Eric and Val, if it was a little bit longer, and I talked about how a good church can support good missionaries. And he throws this in about being content, and he's taken them to school. But before we toss around the word contentment, let me give it some shape and some definition. In the 17th century, the early 1600s, there's a man named Jeremiah Burroughs who wrote a book on Philippians 4 verse 12. Has anyone heard of uh, the rare jewel of Christian contentment in here? Okay, a few of you, okay. In the book, he defines contentment like this. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Let me read it again. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit 
which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal, put this in bold, in every condition. Yes, that's great. (laughs) Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Are you content, Christian? Do you possess a sweet, quiet, gracious, inward spirit that freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition? If you answer that no, welcome to the club. If you say yes, then please come talk to me afterward. I would either want to learn for you or I'd love to share the gospel with you. In order to learn the secret of contentment, we have to be taken to the school of Christ. And that's what Paul is doing in this church right now. He's taking them to school. And that's our outline. We have three points. The first is lesson number one. Contentment is not based on circumstances. Lesson number one in the school of Christ. Contentment is not based or grounded. The foundations of contentment are not in your circumstance. If you've ever read or studied Philippians, it shouldn't be a shocking statement that at the conclusion of this letter, Paul says he's found the secret of contentment. We know from what we just read in chapter 1 that where is he? He's behind bars. He's in prison. And he's in prison because he's sharing the gospel, much like our friend uh, in similar ways, like our friend in Turkey, Andrew Brunson is. And we know he's not in Though he's behind bars, he's not despairing. And even though it seems to be a twist of the knife when other Christian preachers are in a very evil way using his imprisonment for their advantage and his misery, he's still able to say he's found the secret of contentment. I don't know if you caught that in chapter 1, but he's behind bars, and what is in some wicked apostolic or preacher greed, they're saying, you want to follow his ministry, that's where you're going to end up. Follow our ministry. We won't, you won't be in jail for following our ministry. And that's some of the context of what's going on here. The word joy or rejoice is mentioned 16 times in the book of Philippians. So it's a bit perplexing. What's going on? How have his circumstances not dictated his contentment? You see in this text right here, he begins, if you, you'd be helped, by the way, if you had your Bible open. Look at chapter 4, either on your phone or in paper. When he begins to give thanks for the gift to him, when, for their gift to him, he wants to make it clear that though he is thankful, his contentment did not ebb and flow on their gift. Do you see that in verse 10? I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking being in need. You see what he does? He's like, I'm thankful for your gift, but I didn't really need your gift. But I'm really thankful for your gift. He tells the Philippian church outright that even when they were unable to aid him in his ministry or in his imprisonment, he was still content. At one point, this robust, faithful church in the city of Philippi was supporting him. And it seems for a season that their ministry of supporting the Apostle Paul had to go away. They could not support him in the same way. So 
So kind of like a perennial flower at the end of a, a long winter season, it blooms, right? So again, this church, when they had opportunity, they just decided to start supporting the Apostle Paul again. And Paul, there he is in his jail cell. He receives the news from his friend Epaphroditus, who's his co-laborer, his soldier in the gospel. And it brought joy to his soul that, again, this faithful church would stir up concern for him. But Paul is careful not to discourage them in their giving. He's thankful that they were concerned for him. He knows they had no opportunity to show it. Money, money wasn't available, maybe due to persecution that would come against them, that would be um, foolish to, to engage in. We don't know the exact circumstances, but regardless of that, he's re- he, his reasoning in saying this is that he doesn't want them to think that because he got a gift from them, he wasn't content. He's thankful for the concern, but his contentment is not in their giving. He's saying to them, I am not in a miserable state, though my circumstances might appear so. Samuel Pierce is an influential Christian in England in the 18th century. (coughs) Pierce said this about contentment. He says, It has pleased God also lately to teach me, get that, to teach me, more than ever that himself is the fountain of happiness, that likeness to him, friendship for him, and communion with him from the basis of all true in, form, the basis of all true enjoyment. And this is what he says about situations, circumstances. And this can be attained as well in an eastern jungle amongst Hindus and Moors as in the most polished parts of Europe. I've found Jesus either in the jungle or in the most polished parts of Europe. So, brother and sister, what about you? Could that be said of you? Do you believe that in your heart? That no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, that that does not dictate your contentment? You see, no matter the situation, Paul's soul is satisfied and stable. It seems that he has that inward disposition that Jeremiah Burroughs is getting at from the 17th century. Perhaps you think you'll never reach a state of contentment, that you always will feel depleted and dissatisfied. Maybe you're in this job that you just kind of groan at. It kind of wears on you. Parents, maybe you you wake up and try again to form some civil orderliness in your household, and you realize, I just can't do that. But you still have that goal out there that's, let me, let me shape my house like this, and then I can be content. Don't believe that lie. Paul says here that he's found the secret of contentment, and it's not based on circumstances. That is a lie from the world, it's a lie from the devil, and it's a lie that we tell ourselves. Remember in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had all that was theirs, all the resources to be content, and in fact they were content until they entertained a lie and sought satisfaction, contentment outside of their God-given circumstance. Contentment is not based on circumstances. But also contentment is not just handed to us on a platter. We can't just know this truth and say, okay, let me go find contentment. I get it. You know, we can't just punch in the vending machine and say, I found contentment, and now it's mine, and I'm good for the rest of my life. 
What we find out in the scriptures and just through a common experience in life is that contentment is learned. That leads us to the second lesson in the school of contentment. Contentment is learned. And more specifically, contentment is learned through circumstances. Can I do this without? There we go. All righty. Right here. There we go. So in our text, it's learned through two circumstances that Paul's getting at. Through abasement and abundance. Let's look at abasement. Lest his church thinks Paul's rejoicing was not merely because he received a financial donation. He says in verse 11, Not that I'm speaking of being in need. While contentment might be a secret, it's not an undiscoverable secret. You get that? Not many people are content, but everyone has the opportunity to discover contentment. Or rather, they should. Here he goes and tells his church that he knows how to be content in lowliness, in hunger, and in neediness. He has learned this. That's what he says twice. You see that in verse 11? For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And in verse 12, I have learned the secret. Friends, the secret, the desire to be satisfied in this life, it is not just handed to you. It is something that you can learn. And this jewel of contentment is learned in the strangest of places. You see that? This jewel is found in lowliness, in hunger, in neediness, in want. These circumstances have served not to knock him off the path of contentment, but rather to keep him on the path of contentment. Paul does not view times of hunger or lack as obstacles to demolish, but rather as training ground to grow his faith, to grow his contentment. Christian, it is the lowly moments of life. It is in those moments that we turn to things that satisfy us. You can imagine all the temptations that Paul had behind those, the, that prison wall to want to be content. And in that prison wall, he's being squeezed. And what he really believes, what it really makes him joyful is being evidenced. It was in his lonely moments that he learned just how much nothing else can satisfy him. That's true of us too. Our treasures are revealed when trials roll in. What we really believe, what we really find joyful, what makes us content is best seen when we're going through hard times. Paul is a man who has lived through many abasing moments. If you remember what he says in 2 Corinthians 11, he says that he has been imprisoned with countless beatings, often near death. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship. Through many a sleepless night. In hunger and thirst. Often without food. In cold and exposure. Paul knows what it is to be in trying, difficult, unwanted, unpleasant, and surprising circumstances. This is a man who has lived through many abasing moments in his life. They brought him low. They made him look like a fool for following this Messiah, this supposed Messiah. 
But it is in these moments where he's discovered this satisfying secret. And that's what he wants this church who loves them so much and is supporting them and has, having their own abundant ministry. This is what he wants them to know. But he also is saying something else. I've learned, and this is good for a lot of you who have a lot of money, I've learned the secret of contentment even in abundance. Even in abundance. Look at verse 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You see, he knows that having more money, having more food, having a higher status as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he knows that in the eyes of the Philippians, that that might alleviate what they think are the pressures that he faces. And he knows that they don't alleviate anything, at least anything long-term. But they in those moments, he's able to be satisfied. And that's what he's trying to teach this church. He says, I rejoice that you sent me a gift. However, true satisfaction is not found in plenty, nor is it found in nothing. When you think about that, this is kids, listen up. If you receive a gift on Christmas or if you received a gift for your birthday, when do you play with that gift? Right away, Right? So think about last Christmas, December 25th, you received a gift, right, children? Are you still playing with that gift the same amount you did on that day? But you loved it, right? Yeah. So Paul's not saying that gift is wrong, but he's saying if you think that getting more stuff, being abundant and being supplied is going to make you content for the rest of your life, then you don't understand contentment. I think we hear this daily in subtle ways and not so subtle ways that both, not just children, but grown-ups believe. We think if we have more stuff, we will be more content. We think if we get out of certain circumstances, then we will reach contentment. Now, I'm not saying there are certain circumstances you shouldn't just get out. Certain cases of marriages, certain other relationships, and the Bible speaks very clearly to those. Here, Paul is in a jail cell, unjustly, and he is saying that he has found contentment. And it's not in the stuff that you gave me, Philippians. When I was in high school, there was a song called Mo Money, Mo Problems by P. Diddy. We love that song. We didn't quite relate to that song because we weren't on the Mediterranean Sea with a boat. But that's true, right? We all know wealthy people with lots of stuff who are honestly quite miserable. You have more money, more problems, and your main problem is that you think that you're eventually going to be satisfied by getting the next thing. And sadly, just in the last couple weeks, we've seen that people who have had all that the world has to offer did not find that satisfying enough and even gone to the point of ending their lives. But we get fed this all the time. We, get, we, we listen to it on the radio with the next Bruno Mars songs. 
We pay a lot of money for education because we think when we can reach a certain point, then we'll be satisfied. We want that promotion because then we'll be content. And brother and sister, I hope I'm being very clear here. I'm not saying there are all circumstances are, uh, are not worth finding a way out of. But if that's a ground of how you view contentment, you just got to change your circumstance, then you're believing a lie. If that's the ground, if that's the foundation. If you're not a Christian, I wonder if all this sounds a bit odd to you. Because you've probably been told, and you're probably fixing your whole life around, if I want to be content, I've got to set up my life in these particular ways. And then I will be content. But I'm just going to just press on you a little bit, if I can. What does the world have to offer that can bring you contentment? What does the world have to offer that can bring you contentment? Stare at Hollywood for a second and see all of the celebrities through the last decade, musicians that I used to sing songs, you know, that I used to dance to when I was younger. They had it all. They had all that's propped up for them. And yet they either went through down a dark, dark path or they pursued contentment in drugs and overdoses. I just want to, if I can just do one thing, just shake you up a little bit and say, stop believing that lie. Contentment is found in a different spot. It is found mostly that Jesus Christ loves you. He gave his life for you. He was buried and three days later he rose from the dead. And in him, in his life-giving power, in him you can find true contentment. So if you're not a Christian, let me just encourage you. Why are you waiting? What are you waiting to change in your life right now? Consider Jesus. Read his words. Open up this book. It is life-giving. Devote time to figuring out who Jesus is and what the, if the promises about him come true. Lastly, lesson three. Contentment is based on Christ who strengthens you. Contentment is based on Christ who strengthens you. Of all the verses in the Holy Scriptures, Philippians 4.13 might be the one taken most out of context. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things. I think I've been preaching here before and I've said that I really want to be an NBA basketball player. It didn't happen. I didn't even make it to college. I mean, I was so far, so far short of that goal that clearly this verse isn't talking about that. We cannot do all things. So what is he saying here? Let's do the necessary but hard work of trying to shape our framework to understanding what the apostle is saying here. What I mean is that most of us have heard this text in the context of an athlete trying to do his or her best, right? Perhaps in school you may have recited this text in order to give you a good grade. It's often used with good intention as a trite way to express belief that, yeah, you can have excess because he's for you. He's got your back. I don't know that Paul's trying to say that here. That em- the emphasis on the subject is what he's getting at. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But if you remove 
the avenue of the strength that is Christ, then you're just left with nothing. As Steph Curry has taken off that last part and his kind of saying, his catchphrase or his logo, whatever it is, says, I can do all things, dot, dot, dot. Well, that's not very helpful. Give us the good, Steph. But we must be good Bible readers. Ask ourselves, where does this fit into the context of this passage? So let's ask ourselves, what are the all things? The all things mentioned here goes back to the secret, which is the discovery of contentment. He can weather any storm or receive any success and still be content because it is in Christ that his soul satisfaction rests. I can do all things. I can be content in every circumstance because it is him. It is Christ in whom I am trusting. It is Christ in whom I am knowing more and more. And notice, too, he's not just looking back at the gospel here. That will provide you also an endless amount of resources for contentment. He's not just looking at the gospel as he did in chapter 2. Nor is he looking forward to his heavenly reward. But he's getting at the presence of Christ Jesus that is able to strengthen him. Do you get that? Not just looking back at the gospel or seeing how different gospel elements play into his life, though he might be doing that. He's not just looking forward to his reward, but he's saying that Christ is meeting me in this jail cell. That is profound. The concept of the Christ, the Messiah, the King who sits on the throne, can meet with this person in a Roman jail cell and can produce a level of contentment. That is mind-blowing. You get it? He's saying that Christ is meeting him there, that through Christ he can be strengthened, that through Christ his state is lifted up, There's a lot of false teaching, and I would say wicked teaching, that teaches that faith can change your circumstances, and then you can be happy. That the all things here, and in other places in Scripture, that happiness is caused by an increase of possessions or change in circumstances. That's just not in the Bible. This text gets that load of garbage off the playing field. No, Paul is in jail. He is in jail, and he doesn't know for how much longer. And he is satisfied in Christ. He does not need or not a situational change for this contentment. Though he prays for it, and though he wants to be released from jail so that he can do more gospel ministry, but his level of satisfaction is not contingent on that. Contentment is not contingent on circumstances. I think this verse also critiques many of us that kind of have an Eeyore outlook of the Christian journey. If you remember that character Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, just kind of plodding along here. Oh, another good day. yippity doo da. Oh, Paul's really content right now in this jail cell. He's learning Christ. I can cl- include myself in that uh, as, as an Eeyore sometimes. Much of life does feel like we're just kind of limping along. But even in your limp, you must know that it is Christ who strengthens you and who is able to increase your contentment. Nowhere in the Scriptures do we see Christ's departure and apathy toward the Christian, even in the most severe of trials. Christ never says, oh, you're going through that hard thing? I'm not here. Christ never is apathetic toward your trial, no matter how big it is or how small it is. 
But what does he say before his, to his disciples before his, his ascension? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I so appreciated James doing that same benediction over and over again through the Gospel of Matthew. I thought he was just uncreative, and maybe he was. <laughs> but it was so helpful because I view that, I think about that all the time, that Jesus is with me even right now as I preach, even right now in this circumstance that I didn't want to be in. Jesus is with me. Jesus does not, indeed, he cannot leave the believer. The new covenant brings this anticipation of future blessings. And then, brother and sister, we get to take them and we eat of them. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. The prophet says, I will give you a new heart. The Lord says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. From your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And then he says in 27, I will put my spirit within you. I'm just going to say that three times because that's amazing. I will put my spirit, God speaking, within you. I will put my spirit within you. I will put my spirit within you. God dwells in the Christian. And we forget this. We don't view this as valuable as we ought to. And he puts us in circumstances so that we could be awakened to this truth. And that's what Paul is learning. Through weakness, through want, through these unlike these surprising and undesirable circumstances, I am learning Christ. I am in his school. He is the instructor. I am the student, and he is teaching me things. I feel the danger of preaching this text without a ton of qualifiers about depression, about really hard situations, about life and death. Because likely, some of you aren't feeling very strong right now, and you feel like you've been fighting for faith, and that's hard. And you read a passage like this, you have this temptation to feel defeated because you want to be content again. Everyone wants contentment. Perhaps you feel like you're fighting and you largely feel discontent in this fight. I don't know all the answers to that. I don't know all the answers to that, but I do know that even your trials are from God's good hand. Even your trials that you don't want, even the trials you don't like, are from His good hand. And again, this does not mean that you have to stay in circumstances that are undesirable, that you don't want. It is okay, often good, often right, to get out of some circumstances. But know that if you're going through a season of life where everything looks gray, where the world seems colorless, where my plea to find contentment in Christ seems abstract and in the distance, let me just encourage you to cling to these promises now. Cling to them when you don't even feel them. I remember a time in my life, six years ago, I could stare at the most beautiful landscape of Aegean Sea. Turquoise waters, mountains coming out of the sea, beautiful city put all over the hillside. And it looked to me like I was staring at drywall. I recited verses like this. With the little strength I had, 
I would sometimes open my Bible, put it on my nightstand, because I felt like his strength had left me. I opened his word and I read it, and it really did feel like I was staring at drywall. I felt like I was eating cardboard, as one author said, rather than feasting on God's word. When I would muster up the energy to read, I would read these this Christ-centered texts and these Christ-centered literature. And it's hard to know how much all that helped because at the time it didn't feel like anything was going on. But let me just encourage you, if you're in that moment right now where contentment seems really far off, let me encourage you to consider trying, if you can, develop good habits of opening God's Word and reading it. Or let me encourage you to open up to someone right now, after this service, and say, hey, what the preacher said up there, that seems really distant to me, and I don't feel any contentment from following this Christ. But let me encourage you also that I can look back and I can praise God for those moments. I can look back and see that I was learning a lot through that time. I learned how much I was self-sufficient to find contentment in myself, how I looked for contentment in other things, how much I was leaning on others, and just how much room I had to grow to become more Christ-sufficient and not Mark-sufficient. I can honestly look back at those times with thankfulness for those moments of learning because I was in the school of Christ all along, even when I didn't recognize it. He was the master, not just lecturing me up front, but coming to my desk, looking at me in the face and saying, Mark, look to me for contentment. Stop looking elsewhere. And though I, no matter how long I ignored his plea, he was still there, training me and teaching me, molding my heart like a good master instructor. Do you realize in your undesired circumstance that Christ has never left you? That is good. Do you realize in your undesired circumstances that in a mysterious way, God is the author of it? That is good. But let me drill down a little bit more. The secret of contentment. Do you realize that in your undesired circumstance that it is good for you? That takes supernatural, Christ-giving, spirit-provoking faith. That's what Paul is saying here. His tender mercies had never ceased being poured out on you, no matter what it feels like. His strength comes from the same source that created the ground you walk on. His strength is ever-present with you. So what is he teaching you? Hold out, brother. Hold out, sister. Keep going to him and all the resources of this church, of the Bible that he has given you. Learn this secret over and over again. Don't wait until a future time when you can say, it was good that I was afflicted. If you're being afflicted right now, just say it. God, I don't understand, but I know that you're teaching me it is good that I am afflicted in this circumstance. Because you are wise. Your ways are higher than my ways. No matter how you feel, you are in a good condition 
if you are in Christ. And God is merciful upon you, notwithstanding the way you feel. Samuel Pierce said this about learning contentment. He died when he was 26, by the way, so he wrote this maybe when he was 24. He says, The very disposition which, blessed be my dear Redeemer, he has given me, to be anything, do anything, endure anything, so that his name might be glorified. I say the disposition itself is heaven begun below. I do feel a daily panting after more devotedness to his service. And I can never think of my suffering Lord without dissolving into love. Love which constrains me to glorify him with my body and spirit which are his. So quite practically, all right, if you still think I'm speaking in abstract terms, quite practically, if you're in a discontentment funk, let me encourage you with two things that I think the Apostle Paul knew very well and that Mr. Pierce knew very well. Be a minister of the gospel. No, not in a professional sense. Ask others about that giftedness. But do the ministry of a Christian. You see what Samuel Pierce says? The more I do ministry, the more I taste of God. Paul is in jail because he's doing ministry. And yet he is content. And then the second thing is, when you suffer for Christ, which you will as you proclaim Christ, it just happens. People don't like when you say that Christ, they need to be reconciled to somebody else, to Jesus Christ. You will suffer for Christ. And that suffering, what that does is that squeezes out what's really in you, as we said earlier. Like an orange, just squeezes out all the juice and tells what's really in there. Is it a good orange? Is it a bad orange? Is it a mixed orange? Is it a Florida orange? What kid told me yesterday there were Canadian oranges? Who was that? (laughs) Are you Canadian orange or you a Florida orange? So what I want you to know, brother and sister, is that I know that there are some very hard circumstances right now in this room. Undesired, surprising, or maybe just mundane. Like, how do I get out of this? This is just what I've known for a decade. And I'm just don't feeling, I'm not feeling content. Christ can make you content. Stop looking to change your circumstance unless it's wicked or evil. Then you need to talk to someone right away. And devote yourself to Christ. My friend, the pastor, this is what he said, who has this untreatable form of cancer. He says, I hope that the Lord might be pleased to use this journey to help me to see him more and to serve him faithfully throughout. That's Christian contentment. I hope that the Lord uses this cancer that's untreatable to show me more of himself so that I can serve him more faithfully. In conclusion, Samuel Pierce, when talking about potential hardships in the missions field, he wanted to go to the missions fields, but he never got there. He died before he could get over there. He said, I have these two thoughts which keep me going when I'm struggling in my circumstances. I am God's servant, and God is my friend. I am here to do God's work, And God is ever with me. That's what people who understand contentment have found the secret. That's what they know. Not perfectly, not completely in this life, 
but it is possible. May we all have a similar outlook on our circumstances, no matter where we find ourselves this morning. Our situation does not get to dictate our contentment, but rather is a tool in the hand of the master carpenter to bring us to contentment in him. One last plea, particularly to Eric and Val. You hear me, Eric? There you go. All right. When you guys are about to go overseas, you're going to experience a lot of different things, a lot of circumstances that are going to be unpleasant, undesirable. And the temptation that Satan will throw your way is that you can be content when this certain thing is fixed. Don't believe that. Believe that you waiting in this line, you dealing with this municipality for some ridiculous reason, is God directing you and God training you and teaching you and perhaps him giving you an opportunity to minister. But I would say even more importantly, molding you more into the image of Christ. You believe that. Let's pray. Father, imagine that many here are saying, is it true? Is it true that contentment is actually found and attainable in this life? Lord, give us the faith to believe. It's not through abundance. It's not through lack. It's not through things that we have or things yet to be obtained, but it is through Christ that we can be content. Would you give us more and more that inward disposition to say that Christ is enough, that he is sufficient? And would you help us to believe that he is the one who holds us through this life. We pray this in his name. Amen.